0: Good morning. It's good to be with you today. My family is in Orlando. In fact, I think they're watching this morning online, so I want to say hi to the kids. Um, and also, I, I just want to let y'all know about this. The live stream is a great blessing uh, to those that have sick kids, uh, to those that may be traveling and aren't able to get to church. I just want to make you aware of that. We have people that are watching right now that are worshiping with us. Uh, the Christian Care Center each week during first service has a, a, a service over there uh, that people bring communion to. And so we just want to say hi to all those who are there, and especially to my kids this morning as well. Uh, we're in the middle of a series right now on the book of Daniel, and Greg launched that last week. And as we enter back into that, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 2 this morning, so feel free to open your Bibles there. Um, and I want to begin with a prayer as we, we start this morning. God, you are faithful, and uh, you've been faithful through the generations. And it's easy to think in 2017 as if the world is experiencing things it's never experienced before, but Scripture reminds us that that's not the case. That you've been faithful before and you'll be faithful again in the midst of good and in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of plenty and in the midst of want. We're learning, God, to, with the command of Paul to learn to be content in every circumstance, that Jesus helps us do that. So God, in this culture and in this season and this time, would you bring a word this morning, God, that would help us, help orient us to our role in this world, God, for for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of the glory of your name. This morning, God, I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The book of Daniel was chosen for a reason, because it's relevant to where we find ourselves today. It was a time of, of exile. It was a time where the people of God were feeling as if the culture around them was in a very different place than where they stood. And I'm sure there were all kinds of questions about where is God in the midst of all this. Questions that I hear today, I'm sure, were being asked in that time period. And it's easy for us to, to look at our time period and think that it's unique, that we live in unique days, which which means we have a unique calling, and it's true. We have a unique calling in 2017 that's different than any other time in history. God has called us to this moment and has chosen us for this task in this day. And we do live in a time of division in our country, unlike many times in the past. And I'm certain many of you feel a tremendous unease, dis-ease about the future of the world that your kids, your grandkids will grow up in. There's a sense of things are changing And how does the gospel play in the midst of that changing culture? So in many ways, things are changing. But on the other hand, time is never a unique thing because we're always walking through cycles that have come before. We have a tendency to believe we're the only ones who have experienced what we are experiencing. It's human nature to to be nostalgic and to think about the good old days. But the truth is, many of our pictures of the good old days are just curated memories that leave some things out, right? Uh, some of you, the moment in your life you would love to go back to is when you had young kids. And, and, and some of the special times in those years, and some of you think those were the good old days. Well, I just got finished with about the first leg of a 21-hour car ride with three kids. And if you believe that, I, I want to invite you on our next trip and see if you still believe that. You see, there are good parts of every season in our lives, but there are difficult parts of every season in our lives. It's easy to believe that what we're experiencing is unique, but we're not the first to experience a 21-hour car ride. The days are new in some ways, but they're the same things that repeat in many ways as well. In fact, Solomon, I think, talks about this in Ecclesiastes chapter seven. I just want you to hear this verse before we get on to Daniel. Solomon says, Do not say, Why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such such questions. Isn't that an interesting verse? Maybe one we need to remind ourselves of. Things are not always as different as we think we are. And and this series is an attempt to remind us of that. That yes, we're experiencing new things, but all of these things have been experienced in some way in the past. In fact, the story of, of Daniel in exile, they're looking back to a previous story. They're looking back to the central story of Israel a story of the Exodus. And we'll come back to that in a moment, but I want us to get that in mind because why we look at Scripture, why we come to these stories that were written years ago is they still ring true, don't they? They still have life to speak into us today. The Spirit still interacts in these texts in helpful ways. No matter how bad things get, it was worse before. And it's important for us to hear that in seasons where fear creeps up into our lives. Because when it comes to evil, Babylon had no equal. I mean, in our land, it's it's not illegal to pray. We can own a Bible. We can utter Jesus' name without fear of being tossed into jail or, or killed. Now, when we refuse to bow down to idols of our culture, there may be consequences that we pay in some way. But I don't know of any fiery furnaces that have been fired up recently. But it's important to remember this story because Babylon did that sort of thing. Babylon was the personification of evil. And what made Babylon so bad? How did Babylon? Babylon become the biblical metaphor for evil. You remember in the book of Revelation at the end what it says, right? When, when, when evil's going to be done away with, there's this cry that comes out that, that John writes about in his revelation. He says he says, fallen. Fallen is Babylon the great. Now, why would John refer back to this kingdom that had been destroyed hundreds of years before? It's because Babylon was a bad place and Nebuchadnezzar was a bad ruler. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was an egomaniac, known to be hot-headed. He was murderous. He was vain. Uh, he was unreasonable, as you'll see later in this story. And when he conquered Jerusalem, he, didn't, he wasn't kind to of the Jews, okay? I mean, he, he destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple in many ways. And he took out the articles from the temple, and he ended up putting those articles that were in the temple of God in the temple uh, that was given to Marduk in, in Babylon. It's like this way of saying, yeah, you think that your God's alive? Well, where is he now? Because we've got everything you have in your temple in ours bowing down to our God, Marduk. In those days, uh, it would look like Marduk was the real God because the ones who won the battles, their God must be more powerful. Uh, Next week, you'll hear the story of a 90-foot golden statue that's uh, a tribute to the personal power uh, of of Nebuchadnezzar. Everyone was commanded to bow down to this image. and." We'll hear more about that story next week. Babylon was a place of demonic influences. The state-sponsored religion was satanic, and the core curriculum in the schools of higher learning included a large dose of astrology and the occult. In fact, Daniel spent three years in the schools where he would have learned those very things. Our kids may be subjected to some strange beliefs in our schools, but it didn't compare to the schools in Babylon. Babylon. None of my kids will have to get a degree in the occult in order to get a job one day. Nebuchadnezzar was also harsh to Daniel and his friends. Daniel had a Hebrew name. That was his Hebrew name. But but his name that he was given was Belteshazzar, which means Baal's prince. Now imagine if you were taken away from your land, your name was taken from you. And when the slave master called on you to do your work, he would call out the name Satan's prince to you. That's basically the name that Daniel was given. It's important that we start with this background, because things may be getting darker in 2017, but Daniel had it far worse. And I think Daniel provides a wonderful example of how we're to interact in a culture that we see shifting and changing around us. And part of the reason I say that we should learn from the past is because I think that's exactly what Daniel chose to do. I believe the Exodus story became an important story. It was the central story for the people of God. Think about it, as they're going into exiles, they're going into this land where they're taken over by others, where they become slaves or are told what to do, you tend to look back on the stories in the past that orient you in those times, don't you? And that's exactly what I think Daniel does. In fact, the, the parallels between Joseph in the Old Testament and Daniel in the new, or, or later in the Old Testament are amazing parallels. This morning as I get to Daniel 2, I want you to think about that, because the God that, that Daniel serves is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons, and one of his sons was a guy named Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. It ends up being a way that God actually uses to save Jacob's family, Joseph going on. He rises up to second in command over all the land, Joseph does. An amazing story about the faithfulness of God, and eventually God frees those people from bondage after 400 years of silence. I imagine this story would have been a story Daniel would have learned growing up. I imagine this story would have been a story that would have been told in the midst of exile to remind them that no matter what you hear about the gods of Babylon, this is the story of the God that we worship. He's a liberator. He's done it before, and he can do it again. Daniel was born in Jerusalem, in the country that God has given his people. And Joseph had this heritage. He had these stories. And as I look at Daniel chapter 2, I can't help but think that the story of Joseph becomes a template for Daniel. As we live in 2017, I think it's important for us to see Daniel as a template for our lives that we live, which brings us to Daniel chapter 2. If you have your Bibles open there, Daniel 2, I want to begin reading in verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. You track him with a story? King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he calls together his cabinet, right? His astrologers, his diviners, his magicians. He calls together the wise men of Babylon, and he says, I want you to interpret this dream for me. It seems to be troubling him at the time. And they say, well, that's great. Tell us the dream, and then we'll do our best to interpret it. And this buffoon of a king says, no, 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 that's not how this is going to work. You're going to tell me the dream, and then you're going to interpret it. And watch what the cabinet says in response to this guy. Verse 7. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know uh, that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. Let me read that again. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This is a key part of the story. The cabinet's thinking, King Nebuchadnezzar, you, sir, just tell us the dream, please. Are you kidding? You're gonna kill us because we can't tell you what's in your head? How are we going to interpret if we don't know what the dream is? And if you're paying attention to the story in verse 11, all the lights on your dashboard ought to be flashing, right? Because what it says is, this is impossible. This is impossible. And the minute that happens in Scripture, what are we supposed to be acknowledging, right? What's impossible with man is possible with God. Because humans say something is impossible, you can bet God is going to do something incredible because all things are possible with God. But for the Babylonians, they were right. Because these were the stories they had been told all their lives about who the gods were. The gods are gods who are far off. They're gods of the creation myths that were told in Babylon are angry with humans. In their story of creation, and the Enuma Elish, Marduk, who's the god, defeats Tiamat, And out of Tiamat's corpse, the heavens and the earth are formed. That's the story that Daniel would have learned as he was growing up, as he was hearing these stories. These are the stories of Babylon that were being told. In other words, creation is an act of violence between angry gods that exist in the heavens. And then in another act of violence, Marduk decides to create humans from the blood of another god whom he chooses to kill in battle. So these are the stories that are swirling around. These are the gods that they believed in. And in that world, the gods are angry and humans are an afterthought uh, from the blood of the gods who are casualties of a war going on in some other realm. In that world, Nebuchadnezzar's request is impossible. Verse 11, they tell us why. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live among humans. But Daniel's god is not like Marduk, is he? Oh, Daniel's god... Uh, created humans in his image. Daniel's God is not angry like the other gods. And even more importantly for the story, this God is not far from the humans he's created. He's walked with them in the temple. He's been there in the Holy of Holies. And that makes all the difference because what is impossible for Nebuchadnezzar and for his cabinet becomes possible with a God who comes close to humans. And Daniel knows it's possible because he knows the story of Joseph somebody who was able to interpret dreams for a former madman. Pharaoh was crazy, Nebuchadnezzar was crazy, and in case we need a reminder, crazy political leaders didn't just show up about 100 years ago. They've been around a long time. So Arioch is sent, the commander of the army. They can't interpret the dreams, and so Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, I want you to go kill all the wise men of Babylon. This includes Daniel, and includes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And all of a sudden, we see a scene unfold. I think we can learn from the approach that Daniel takes. I want us to pay close attention. This is beginning in chapter 2, verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream him. You imagining the scene with me? Here's a picture of, of Nebuchadnezzar telling Ariok, the commander, to go kill all the wise men of, of Babylon. So Ariok is on his way and he comes to Daniel, I imagine, with a weapon in hand to do the tasks that he's been called to do by the supreme ruler of Babylon. And what does Daniel do? He speaks to Ariok with wisdom and tact. I like that. I think that's something we need to pay attention to in our world. As we face a culture that continues to shift. It's easy to respond with emotion, with anger, with denouncement. The way Daniel responds is he responds with wisdom and tact. It's a great starting place for us in 2017. Can we come from the assumption that we ought to speak with wisdom and tact, no matter the ruler that we come in touch with? That's easier said than done, though, when a guy shows up to kill you. And that's the scene here with Daniel. Do you notice how Daniel responds? He doesn't respond by running away from the situation. He doesn't respond by evading anything. He responds with a question. Sounds like somebody that comes a few centuries after Daniel, doesn't it? Jesus comes on the scene and every question that comes his way, he hardly ever gives a response. He always responds with a question in return, so often in the story. Church, it's important to always be ready with an answer for the hope that we have. Scripture calls us to have that. But sometimes it's just as important to be ready with the right question to ask. Did you catch that? Sometimes it's more important to have the right question than it is ready to be armed with the right answer. Daniel says. Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Isn't that a strange response? If I'm Daniel in that scenario, I'm going to run, fight or flight, right? But what does Daniel do? He responds with wisdom. He responds with tact. He responds with a question and makes this commander ask a question that he doesn't ask because orders are given and that's what you're supposed to do. Why, Why were you given such a harsh command? And Daniel finally gets his chance to go in and talk with the king. And he asks for a chance to go off and be able to interpret the dream you ever had one of those moments where you feel like you bit off more than you could chew? I think this is one of those moments, right? Because Daniel knows the story of Joseph, and he knows that God before has given interpretations of dreams, but there's no guarantee that's what's going to happen here. So imagine going back to your friends and knowing you've got a little bit of time hoping God's going to come through. Anybody been in that scenario where you needed God to come through in the moment? Daniel's in that moment. What does he do? He calls his friends and he says, I want you to get down on your knees and I want you to beg for mercy from God. That's what it says in Daniel 2, verse 17 and 18. When then Daniel returned to the house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Guess what happens? God shows up. God shows up. He gives them the interpretation of his dream. Now, if I'm Daniel in this scenario, and I've bitten off more than I can chew, and then God reveals the answer, I know at that moment as I'm laying on my bed at night, I'm thinking, I can't wait for tomorrow. There's excitement, right? Finally, I've received what I hoped God would offer, and so I'm ready to go bring that before God. I'm also nervous, though, right? Because Nebuchadnezzar's a madman. If you notice the message he's about to bring, it's not a positive message about Nebuchadnezzar's future message is basically, yeah, you're uh, on top of the throne now, but you're not always going to be that way. I, I'd be, I wouldn't be able to sleep as I wait to go to Nebuchadnezzar the next morning. morning. But did you notice, what, you notice what Daniel does in the midst of that moment? I think we ought to pay close attention to this. In, in, in some ways, I think this is probably the most important message I could impress from Daniel 2 this morning. When I am in a storm, it's normal for me to doubt. When I'm in a storm, it's normal for me to pray. It's normal for me to take action in those moments. It is not normal for me to praise God before I know the end of the story. Praise for God for me comes after the outcome is in the favor I want it to come. Praise for God for me comes when I've prayed a prayer and God's answered that the way that I desire. Praise I'm ready to offer every single Sunday when those moments happen, but not for Daniel. Because Daniel 2 has the song of praise right in the middle of the story. And I think it's intentional. Right smack dab in the middle of this passage before Daniel knows the outcome of how this is going to turn out, look at what he says beginning in verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. I've got to tell you, church, I don't do this. I praise God after he makes the situation better. I praise God, not in the middle of the story, but at the end of the story. And some of you are going through storms right now and and you, like me, need to be convicted of the same things. Praise is not just something we give when things turn out the way we want them to. Praise is something we give to God in the middle of the storm. And some of you this morning it's okay to keep offering those prayers for God to keep interacting. God wants to hear those things. He's like a father who desires to know the desires of his children's heart. Don't stop praying, but start praising. Maybe you need to go home today in the middle of the storm you're in and you need to thank God for what's going to come. You need to write a a psalm of praise that you're going to lift up to him in this season without even knowing what the outcome is. It doesn't make any sense in so many ways. Daniel doesn't know the outcome, but before the outcome Happens, Daniel praises God. Daniel the next day may get killed for ne- by Nebuchadnezzar for offering the message he brings. Because Daniel is about to deliver a message of doom to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's about to say, God put you in charge, Nebuchadnezzar, and when he's done with you, he'll take you out of, uh, of that place. And Nebuchadnezzar is not the kind of stable king who's likely to respond well to that interpretation. But God is not worthy of our praise because he makes our lives easy. He's worthy of our praise because he's the God above all gods. And not only that, there's a key message in David's song that reveals the core of who Daniel is, who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. This belief in chapter 20 or verse 21 that he shares is so core to the rest of this book. And I want you to hear it again. It's the first half of verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. What is Daniel saying? He's saying no matter what it looks like, God is in control of who is in control. It's the same claim that comes from Daniel 1 verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some, with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Israel's in Babylon. Why? Not because Nebuchadnezzar put them there, but because God put them there, it says in in chapter 1, verse 2. But one day, Nebuchadnezzar isn't going to be in charge. And on that day, it it will be because God has taken action once again. What would it change in your life if you believed that? If you believe that God is in control of who is in control? And we can talk about this in terms of the rulers of countries, but we can also talk about this when it comes to our everyday lives, when it comes to the bosses who employ us, when it comes to the parents who God's put into our lives, when it comes to anyone who has authority in any way of our lives. What if we believed what Daniel proclaims? That God is in control of who is in control. Nebuchadnezzar's an evil king. Just because God is in control doesn't mean that he's a righteous person all of a sudden. Just because someone is on a throne is not a statement that somehow they're righteous or a representative of God and his kingdom. But it means that God's always up to something. And sometimes he puts rulers on thrones to teach his own people that their sin has become too much. And I'll stop right there before I make any more specific announcements about 2017. But regardless, if you you are happy or upset about who is in charge, don't mistake it. God is in charge. Of who is in charge. And so, right now, in the midst of whatever storm you're facing, I think this is important for us to understand and to proclaim in the midst of the storm we're in. We praise Him in the middle, not at the end. And we trust Him in the midst of whatever we face. Even when things seem most out of control, God is in control of who's in control. And we don't praise God just because things turn out the way we want them, we praise God because He's the only one who is worthy of our praise. And we praise God because we need to be reminded in the moments things seem most out of control, it's not on us to control them. Some of us have a real problem with that, don't we? Some of us love to control things and manage things and make sure everything works out perfectly. You're not in charge either. God's in control. And I wish that meant that everything went perfect and everything lined up perfectly in our lives and that God works out every prayer we want in the way we want it and the timing we want it. It doesn't mean that. Daniel's going to die in Babylon. He he praises praises God, but it doesn't mean that his life ends up back in Jerusalem where he wanted it. But all it meant was he's going to be faithful and he's going to trust God to take care of what God needs to. You know how the story ends for Daniel in chapter 2? Listen to this in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor, and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal Finally, Nebuchadnezzar sees the reality because he knows his magicians couldn't do what Daniel could do because those gods are far off. But Daniel's God, he reveals mysteries to men. I hear the story and in the midst of our world, uh, there's a lot of important principles that we need to take, aren't there? What's impossible for those without God is possible for those who submit their lives to him. And at the end of this story, just like Joseph, Daniel finds himself in a position of power once again. God uses him in amazing ways. And, and sometimes he stands up and he says, no, I won't do that, like last week, the story of what he ate. But other times he, he learns the, the, the astrology and the occult, and he finds ways of influence in the midst of it. It's a messy story, the story of Daniel. But when you trust who's in control, it's amazing the ways you can lay down control in your own life. So we close today, we're going to sing one more song together. And this song was chosen in in some ways because I thought the center of this story, the center of Daniel 2 is really all about praising God in the midst of the storm, right? Some of you are walking through some storms in your life right now. And as we close this morning, I don't want to end by just preaching a message. I want us to end by doing what Daniel does. And that is saying, God, in the midst of whatever's going on in our lives, in the midst of whatever prayers we're lifting up, in the midst of whatever uncertainty lies here in the room, we're going to praise you in the middle of it all. And and so right now, I'd like to ask the band to come to the stage. I'm going to pray a prayer. And then I want us to pray this. and, And I want us to sing this song. Let this be your praise. This morning, in the midst of whatever it is that you're facing, because this is what the people of God do. We don't wait for the outcome to praise him. We praise him in the middle of the storm. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this story of Daniel. We thank you so much that you are in control of who is in control. God, in our lives, we like to manipulate things. We like to make sure we are in control of things. And, and the only thing we, life really reveals to us is that control is only an illusion for us, God. We, we can't even control our own lives, much less the lives of others around us or the nations around us, God. So we trust your kingdom, God. We, we trust your control and your sovereignty, and we ask you to, to move and act as you need to, God. And in the midst of the storms we face, God, I know there's a lot this morning that people are feeling and walking through. Uh, here this, this morning is our cry of praise, not because you bring any outcome, but because you are worthy of praise as the God above all God's. So God, we we lift this praise to you as Daniel lifted praise in the midst of his story. We pray that you'd receive this this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.